Well, have you ever looked back at a moment in your life and thought, wow, that was God's timing. God's providential hand was all over that situation. Well, Esther chapter 6 is a chapter just like that, filled with humor, but filled with the unmistakable providence and timing of God, fighting on behalf of his people, putting all the puzzle pieces together, weaving together the tapestry. He does that in Esther 6. He does that in our lives as well, even when we can't see it. More on that today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The king could not sleep. I was reading one commentator that called this sleepless in Susa. Now, we're not told why the king couldn't sleep, but we could come up with some uh, human ideas. The human ideas are that Esther was acting kind of weird. She had come to him unsummoned. He had put out the scepter, and then he had asked her. He had given her favor, and she got the king's grace, and he said, up to half my kingdom, just name what you want, and I'll give it to you, Esther, and she wouldn't tell him. And then she invites him over to this banquet that she's prepared. And Haman and and the king go over there. And then he says once again, tell me what you want, honey. Up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And she won't tell him again. And I don't know if he was replaying that in his head. Like, what's going on? Why would she come unsummoned? And then why wouldn't she tell me when I made this gracious offer twice no less? What's going on with that woman? I don't understand. Sleepless in Susa. Maybe, as one other writer suggested, it was the construction noise from Haman's project just down the road, which would be ironic that was keeping the king awake. But since there's no specific reason mentioned, we would have to argue that God was the one that was keeping the king from sleep. The literal language means that that sleep fled from him. And the Septuagint version, an ancient version of this text, says that God cause sleep to flee from him. And I think that God can and does do that at times. Sometimes we just can't sleep. Sometimes it's a very human reason, like we're rotating things in our brain, replaying events from the day, concerns we have, worries about people, whatever it may be. But sometimes sleep may flee from us because God has something to say to us. And maybe something we didn't see during the day, he wants us to see in the night. And oftentimes when maybe if you're woken up and you're, it's not easy for you to go back to sleep, maybe that's a time to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to pray right now? What are you wanting to show me right now? The king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles of the kings of Persia. And they were read before the king. The chronicles of the kings of Persia were official Persian records of the king's activities and actions. And they were documented much like we would document meeting minutes for a business or some sort of organization. So that's basically what it was. It was documentation of events and how the kingdom or the court responded to those events. And it would just, it would be similar to reading like the, uh, the health care bill that came down the pike 
some years ago with however many pages it was, and then we found out that nobody who was commenting on it actually read it. Because nobody wants to read documents like that. It would be like reading a book on various tax codes. And maybe the intention of the king, you know, the king had a lot of options. He had, an, he had a plethora of women at his beck and call in his harem. He could have called for entertainment. He could have called for a midnight snack. He could have called for uh, the best wine. He could have asked for music. He could have had people feed grapes to him. He could have had anything he wanted, and he asked for the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. Are you kidding me? Boring with a capital B. But maybe that was his intention all along was to get something to be read to him that was boring so he could go to sleep. <laughs> Ever been there before? Sometimes it's easy to go to sleep when we're bored. Don't take that personally right now as I'm preaching to you. Please, please don't do that. So the king has this book. The ESV renders it the book of memorable Memorable Deeds, the Chronicles, the NIV has it as the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign. The record recorded official transactions of the Persian kings. It was the record of his reign. So you could imagine like an attendant, a servant of the king in his little nightcap. Maybe he's got his pajamas on. It could be a cold night in Persia. And he gets out this big book with these records and the king's, you know, in his bed and the king says to the attendant, read me a story. Tell me a story. Read my story. And so, okay, king, page one. On such and such a date, you went out of the royal residence and you went off over here and you got an ice cream cone. And then you moved. No, they, would, they wouldn't do stuff like that. But it had to be official business where the king was doing something and so the king is listening. He's in his bed. He's got his blankie and maybe his bottle. <laughs> Put me to sleep. Read me the record of my life. It would be like going over to somebody's house and they play home movies. Have you ever had that happen before? We all enjoy our home movies, right? Our videos when our kids were growing up. But other people... If you don't know this, this would be an insight that you need to take home with you. Other people do not enjoy your home movies. Oh, look at him when he was two and he was, oh, he saw the bird fly over the... No. You may look over at your friends and see this. Now, the record apparently went back multiple years. In fact... Uh, scholars believe that the record that the king is going to come across is about four to five years old. And here's, this will ring a bell for those of you who have been studying this. And it was found written, so the, this attendant's reading the record, uh, what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, you can write down chapter 2, verse 21, but basically the attendant's reading the record out loud, and he comes to the place in the official record that revealed that Mordecai had uh, revealed an assassination plot against the king. 
And all of a sudden, the king kind of woke up. It, it caught his interest, and maybe he, he propped up from the bed. And the record of this exposing of this, of this uh, coup, if you will, against the king was revealed. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Nothing. Now, we can imagine the king kind of springing out of the bed. What do you mean, nothing? As you study a little bit about Persian kings, it was their delight to honor people for serving them and protecting them. In fact, it, it bode well for their own life. If you took care of your people, then they would take care of you kind of thing. But there was a glaring oversight, and it had happened four to five years before that when Mordecai revealed the plot, even risking his own life, nothing was done for him, nothing, zero. And the king was like, this is unacceptable. This is not how we run the Persian Empire. And isn't it interesting that this is the time that this comes out? Mordecai had never been rewarded for something that had happened, let's say, five years before. Something that was big and major in the kingdom. And I mentioned when we were in that chapter that sometimes we get overlooked in life. Maybe we didn't get rewarded for something. And Mordecai just decided to put it aside. He decided to forget about it. But do you think he was hurt? He was human. Do you think he was like, wow. They, they will acknowledge and give accolades to other people, but they, they didn't acknowledge me for this. And as time went by, I think he just put it to the side. But in God's providential hand, just at this moment when the king can't sleep, the record comes forth. Now think with me. That very night, what's Haman been up to? Building gallows because he wants to kill Mordecai. And his plan is to get this done, show up at the king's residence, and ask for Mordecai to be killed. Well, during the night, something that Mordecai did to help the king is revealed. And God is doing his master work. No matter what somebody may plot against you, whatever wicked schemes or evil twists that they have, God is in heaven. And God is our ultimate defender and protector. And God is in the timing business. And you could say everything about providence is really about timing. And so no honor or distinction or recognition had been bestowed on Mordecai. Nothing, zero. And the king was like, we are going to remedy this immediately. So the king asked, we can imagine that this is the wee hours of the morning now. You know, the king couldn't sleep. Maybe the record was read to him for a while. Maybe he was beginning to doze a little bit. And then the Mordecai thing was mentioned. I don't know, but it's probably the wee hours of the morning. So it's very, very early is what I would conclude. And the king wants to remedy this problem. And he doesn't seem to do anything without talking to his advisors. <laughs> Have you noticed? He doesn't seem to be the uh, sharpest king, the brightest bulb. Uh, maybe he was about as sharp as a basketball. I don't know. But, but here's this king. And so he says, well, who's around? Who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. He was still singing his song, right? Hang Morty. I'll be happy. And he's into the court. 
and you know, whistling, and he's ready. He's going to go to the king now. And he had just entered the outer court. Talk about timing of the king's palace. He had stood where Esther had stood a chapter before, and she was getting courage to go to the king unsummoned. And he was going to go to the king, middle of four, in order to speak to the king about hanging. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Today, it's very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you have an answer when your friends, family, or coworker asks you about your faith in Christ? The Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith. You can take online or on-campus classes on subjects like Christian apologetics, Christian doctrine, world religion, contemporary cults, and much more. Enrollment for the spring quarter is open now until April 12th. Visit thetruthacademy.com today to register. That's thetruthacademy.com. See you in class. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only he can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. But, but here's this king. And so he says, well, who's around? Who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. He was still singing his song, right? Hang Morty. I'll be happy. And he's into the court. And, you know, whistling, and he's ready. He's going to go to the king now. And he had just entered the outer court. Talk about timing of the king's palace. He had stood where Esther had stood a chapter before. And she was getting courage to go to the king unsummoned. And he was going to go to the king, middle of four, in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. So he was ready. He was going to go to the king. He was going to... Put this before him and get this done. And the king was looking for someone to talk to about what he had just heard that night as well. Well, Haman just had entered the order, outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king. Perfect timing. You could, you could say, on, on a human scale, we could say, how lucky. How lucky Haman must have felt that the king was looking for advice at just this moment. But was he lucky? Oh, no. In fact, this is going to be very bad for his career. <laughs> In fact, this is going to spell his demise. Well, Haman just then entered the outer court. You can see it was almost like the scenes of a movie. The timing is perfect. It's impeccable. And the king's servant said to him, Behold, look, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. 
Now it's early in the morning, and there is Haman, and he's got an agenda. He's thinking, this is awesome. The king has called me in. I thought I'd have to wait for a while. He's already having his morning coffee. This is wonderful. This is excellent. And so, come on in, said the king to Haman. You know, it's been said that the early bird gets the worm, but sometimes the early bird gets humbled. Good morning, Haman, come on in. Good morning, perfect timing. This couldn't be more perfect, Haman might be thinking to himself. Oh, my trap is almost complete. But God is setting a trap for the man that set the trap. And that's the business that God is in. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. So Haman came in and the king said to him, well, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Now remember, Haman was probably just about to get it out. King, I have something I want to ask you. But before he could get to it, the king had his own agenda. And Haman just happened to be there and they happened to have some good morning coffee. Well, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, well, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Oh, of course, nobody. Now, he had some good reasons to think this. On the one hand, he was an up-and-coming guy in the Persian court. The king had elevated him, really, to number two in all of Persia. So it wasn't that far-fetched, right? Haman comes in. He's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. The king gives him the question, and Haman thought to himself, NIV, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? My career is on a great tra trajectory. This is reasonable. Pride, pride, pride. Have you ever thought something was about you and found out that it wasn't about you? You ever been humbled that way? You ever had a notion that something was going on and it was about you and then you found out, oops, it's not. You see, pride is an inordinate, self-consuming way of life. It's thinking that everything in, a lot in life is about you and what you do and how you look and what people think of you. Do you know people don't think of you as much as you think they think of you? Sometimes they think, why does that person look at me that way? And then you find out that person looks at everybody that way. It's not just about you. But that's what pride does to us. We get self-consumed and everything comes back to this one funnel. Me, myself, and I. And Haman thought to himself, well, there's nobody else that the king, I can't imagine anybody else that he would want to honor but me. And so... Haman said to the king, well, for the man whom the king desires to honor had to be quick on his feet since you asked. Haman's now completely distracted from his intended purpose. Have you noticed? He had come to the king early. He wanted to be the first one there because he wanted to kill Mordecai, but his pride has blinded him. One writer says, if ever there was a picture of pride going before a fall, Haman is it. And Haman begins to imagine now a royal parade because the king has asked him, well, what should we do for a man that I want to honor? And immediately Haman's thinking, a royal parade, <laughs> that's what it'll be. 
I can begin to picture it right now. And so he's got it all in his mind. And I think if you notice how this goes, you will notice that Haman's ultimate idol is self-recognition. It's the thing he longs for the most. And by the way, he gets it from everybody except two people, the king of Persia and a man named Mordecai. He's got it already. He's got wealth. He's got power. He's got influence. He's got everything that someone could want in life. But the one thing he doesn't have is Mordecai doesn't bow to him. So he does some quick thinking on his feet and thinks, well, if the king commands that a man is to be honored in the streets of Persia, and it's a command from the king, then finally, oh, finally, Mordecai will have to bow to me because this will be an edict from the king himself. It will be the king, some, some herald announcing that the king desires to honor this man, so all must bow. And he's thinking to him, himself, finally, my dreams will come true. Before he hangs on the gallows, he's going to bow to me. Oh, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. And then later I'll have steak at Esther's house. This is glorious. Now Mordecai must bow. Do you see how consumed this man has become with this one thing he does not have? He's got so much other stuff. And by the way, his idol becomes his demise. Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Do you know that Lucifer or Satan was probably, many scholars believe, some sort of archangel? He had power and position, and he fell because of one word. What's the word? Pride. He wanted to elevate himself really above the stars of God. He wanted to be like the Most High. And you're going to watch now because Haman believes that this is about him. So he's going to start making some royal requests. And this is what he wants. Check it out. He says, now remember, he's thinking about himself. He, he thinks he's the man. He says, well, here's what you should do, king. Let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown. Most believe that this is a some sort of... Uh, uh, crown on the horse or crest on the horse has been placed. So I want a headdress on the horse, a royal robe. Uh, we're going to have a royal horse. We're going to have a royal crest on the horse. And royal robes, maybe even the idea of a portent of things to come. Here's what I mean. Maybe in his mind he's thinking, you know, if something happens to you, I'm going to get myself fitted for the royal robes because I'm in line for the throne. I'm number two. Oh, let's see how they feel. Let's see how they fit. Let's imagine myself in the royal robes. I'll walk by a couple of mirrors and see how I look. And so he's making this, these suggestions to the king now. Uh, Jonathan took the royal robes off and gave them to David as a portent of things to come that David would be the king. One writer says there's some evidence from ancient historians that the Persian royal robes as well as the king's bed and throne were believed to have the power to impart the benefit of royalty in an almost magical way, close quote. I don't know if that's what Haman was thinking, but he was, 
you know, planning it out, his royal parade, his dream day. He says, let the robe nine and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, like somebody like Mordecai, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square. Get ready for it, king. Have another sip of coffee. And proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Now, how many of you have seen the VeggieTale version of this? If you haven't, oh, come on, people. Parade him through the city and say to everybody, here is a real great guy that the king desires to honor. He's a really great guy. And, and have one of your noble princes say that over and over and over again through the city square. Well, I have had church members tell me that I know too many of the Veggie Tale stories. But, you know, I raised three boys in a Christian home, and it was great, great stuff, and I enjoyed it all. Well, Haman is thinking that this is great. I can't wait to be honored. It must be about me. But Haman's in for a rude awakening. And tomorrow, as we continue in Esther chapter 6, we're going to see just that. Well, I've been telling you that we do have my entire teaching of the book of Esther on a flash drive, and we'd love to send it to you as a thank you when you give a $30 or more donation to Walk in Truth. Friends, I am passionate, our team is passionate about getting the truth of God's word out, and we want to get it into more regions of the country. And we really appreciate your support of our ministry to get the truth of the gospel out to everyone who listens. You can mail in your donation or you can give online. Get all the information when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Well, our time for today is wrapping up, so I'd like to remind you to listen in tomorrow to hear how Haman's plan indeed backfires, and he has to do something great for a man he utterly despises. This is the way that the Lord turns things around in this great book. We'll hear more of that next time. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.